Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst, from swimming in the iconic Neptune pool to dining in Hearst's private guesthouse overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission. I'm Tom Wilmer reporting from the Santa Maria Airport. Come along and join me for a fascinating conversation with Jane Hinton, Director of Development, and Steve Hinton, President of Plains of Fame. We're on the ground floor of a change, right? You guys are based in Chino, California? That's correct. Yeah, we've been there since uh, about 1970. Open to the public, or a nonprofit aviation museum, founded by a gentleman named Edward Maloney. Actually, with the oldest non-government aviation museum in the country. It started back in 1957 as an official nonprofit. Interesting, but game changer in your evolution. Here we are in Santa Maria. Jane, do you want to tell us how this happened? Uh, sure. We have 150 aircraft in our collection, and a good percentage of those are on public display. But how many are airworthy? 35 of our aircraft have airworthiness certificates, um, and then we have a number of static display aircraft. There are a lot that aren't on public display, and they're in storage, and we determined that we really wanted to get more hangar space and get things uh, accessible to the public. Um, so part of the motivation was things are probably pretty filled up in Chino, right? Oh yes, <laughs> bursting at the seams. Yeah. Our hangars are just about as stuffed as they can be. It's it's Tetris getting getting the planes in and out. <laughs> so we needed more space and we started looking everywhere. I mean, the whole U.S. was on the plate at the beginning and we started crossing things off for one reason or another. Whether it was snow or it was too active or the runway was too short or too far from a population base, there's all kinds of things that eliminated some airports. And we came up with a short list and Santa Maria was on it and they um, offered us 24 beautiful acres and wow. um, we were very lucky to secure a, a location here. But it follows that you're going to have to build some hangars and storage facilities? Oh, yes. Uh, we're still developing our master plan for the site, but for phase one, as we call it, we're putting up a pretty substantial initial build. So it's Building Alpha is a three-bay hangar, um, which we're hoping will be 56,000 square feet um, and include aircraft display and a um, maintenance shop supporting our flight operations and a area that serves for educational programming and kind of an auditorium um, style hangar so that we can do events. Reading your background literature, I was fascinated with the whole STEAM element with kids and serving as an educational center. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. 
when you go and see an airplane sitting on the ground, it's one thing. But when they come alive, it really sparks an interest. And you see that spark go in a lot of different directions. Kids could be interested in the science and technology angle. How do these planes work? How do they fly? Or equally, they get excited about the history and why were they built and where and who flew them and that kind of thing. So that initial spark of interest, which is really our strongest public program, is, is the flyable aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, is really just the beginning for a lot of these kids. That's really cool. So intrinsic in your model is engaging with the community Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons, even for economic survivability. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about what you see in your programming for the public. Oh, absolutely. Our local programs include a strong membership base, We like to keep our programming fresh so that we have different planes flying at different times, different presentations, uh, lecture series, things like that. So local visitors can come back time and again and see different things uh, when they come out to the museum. We also have a very strong volunteer program, which is really great to see all different ages getting involved with the museum in a really hands-on way. From an economic standpoint, you really depend on that, don't you? Oh, absolutely. We have a very bare-bones staff. We, we rely heavily on our volunteers. And then additionally, just admissions, you know, people coming through the door, maybe they buy a t-shirt or maybe they make a donation. Those kinds of things really add up and, and make a big difference for us. So across the breadth, where does your funding come from? What do you rely on the most? Ooh, all kinds of different sources. Um, Donations is a primary source of funding for our general operations, but also special initiatives like a specific aircraft restoration or or a special project such as the expansion project here at San Maria. It also comes from admissions to the door, the gift shop supports us, Um, we've uh, received a few grant funds, and also our aircraft, they work hard for us, and so um, performer fees, we attend probably a dozen shows. We send our planes all over the place every year. Yeah, on and off here, (laughs) more than that. So we do warbird rides, and those planes work hard. We maintain them so that they are able to be used in that way. Steve, tell us about the different aircraft that are flyable that we could go up in. The FAA has granted us what's called an LHFE, Living History Flight Exemption. We have the P-51 Mustangs. We have two Mustangs that are available for that. So it's a two-seater? Well, it's a passenger, yeah. This uh-huh. on a dual control. Intro to the airplane and a good briefing and then, a, then about a 20-minute flight, yeah. The P-51s, the ones that are two-seaters, were they modified from the original or were there originally some well, two-seaters? Well, two, the P-51 was a single-place fighter. But in yeah. training? But no, what we've done or what is com- common with a Mustang is a, you remove a 75-gallon long-range fuel tank out of the back and you put a seat back there. The military only modified, or North American who builds the P-51, only built, I think, 12 dual-control P-51s. Back in the war, remember, they were they built like 15,000 P-51s. Mm-hmm. The training uh, flying a P-51 is just similar to really the rest of the airplanes. There's, you know, military pilots trained and then introduced and checked out in different airplanes, but the basic training, the airplanes aren't hard to fly. They're, you know, good training and they're you know they're a delight to fly they're fun to fly you so know. you've flown one. Oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> let's see 50 years i've been flying a mustang for 50 years wow yeah I, I first sold when i uh, mustang when i was uh, almost 20 i think it was just 20 yeah very cool yeah. 
Give us an overview of some of the aircraft flyable that you have there. Yeah, well, we mentioned the Mustangs. We've got the P-40 Warhawk. We've got the P-38 Lightning. Then our P-38 Lightning was actually based here. I was going to ask, wasn't Santa Maria Airfield a, a training yeah, for P-38? P-38s, yeah. yeah. P-38J that was... Uh, J is a, is a kind of an early model airplane, but it was built late in the war because the way they do batches or whatever, but it, it never saw combat, but it, it, just for a very brief time, I think it was based here for about nine months. You obviously have flown that aircraft. Oh, yeah. Oh, Tell yeah. us about flying that. Is it a fun uh, aircraft? It's, yeah, the, you know, all of them are fun. Some are more fun than others, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, when you, when you tie in the history of these planes and the technology, uh, you know, how they were built and back in those days you think how many planes were being built I mean, oh my gosh we, in the world war ii era the united states and their allies built i think around four hundred thousand airplanes in those five years wow yeah right here in southern california you know there was lockheed there's douglas there's north american you know northrop they subcontracted different things so really it was the aviation center of you could say anywhere in the world really does that partly explain how you guys were birthed down at chino well, in a lot of ways, uh, Mr. Maloney, our founder, was a young man in uh, World War II, you know, going through uh, high school and building models and reading the newspaper, you know, and of course the, the country was, we're all on the same page, so to mm -hmm. speak. And then him being uh, very interested in history and seeing after the war how these airplanes were just, they're cutting them up, melting them down, and every opportunity he had. He was in a position, his father owned a uh, auto body shop, and he was in a position to be able to collect some, a lot of this stuff really for nothing sitting there and, and you know and when he started the museum there there weren't really any museums around so we were able to uh, get a lot of planes that were just basically donated yeah that's really cool yeah we have p-47 we have you know we have uh f-86 we have a mig-50 these are the ones we fly mig-15 we have a t-33 that's an Air Force trainer. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, right. And those are the ones we kind of fly a lot. We have a B-25, we fly an AT-6, the SBD, a Navy a dive bomber, a TBM Avenger. Wow. Yeah, Grumman Bearcat, uh, Grumman, or excuse me, the Vought Corsair. B-24 is a coveted bomber that a lot of air museums wish they had. Well, it was the most widely produced bomber for, for the Allies in World War II, but there is only one that flies. There's another one that could fly, mm -hmm. and then the uh, the uh, Commemorative Air Force has uh, the cargo version of one. It's called an LB-30, but it looks like a B-24. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I went to Ypsilanti, and I went to the Air Museum there, uh -huh. and they are coveting a 24, too. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. have a 25. Yeah. But they were cranking those out, uh, you know. Oh, Ford's plant, I went to where the plant was, and they were pushing out a B-24 every 58 minutes. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. You know, you know, but they really didn't have any purpose after the war. They, they That's why they were just cut up mm -hmm. and gone. Just boom. They were, 24 was was a very good airplane, but it was not as easily operated or as, as reliable as like B-17 was. Isn't that crazy? I think there was like 12,500 made around that. And then something, yeah. And they're all gone. <clears throat> I mean, it's like, wow. The one we had was built right there in Long Beach. It was a Douglas version. You know, it's a B-17, but it was, you know, built by Douglas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. A little bit more, some high points of what you would experience at the Plains of Fame Air Museum. Well, we have a lot of very rare aircraft, and, of course, over time, you know, they will eventually end up here. You know, we've got a... One of the largest collections of original Japanese aircraft. We have a, you know, the only real Japanese Zero that flies. It's got the original Sakai engine in it, and 
it was captured off of Saipan at the end of the war, and, and a log book is a who's who in aviation that flew it. You know, Lindbergh flew it, and Corky Meyer, all the test pilots flew the airplane. And, wow. Yeah. And it's still flyable. Well, we, when Mr. Maloney got it uh, for the museum, um, it wasn't in flyable condition, but it was all complete. Mm-hmm. And back in the 70s, we restored it to fly again. And, and have you flown that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've ta- we took it to Japan. We've had it there three times. Wow. Yeah. It's the symbol of the Japanese. It's a beautiful airplane. Flies really nice. It's just not uh, built to the standards of uh, you know American airplanes. It was. It's super light and it uh, handles beautifully. It's an aerobatic airplane compared to a Hellcat, which is a big tank, a beautiful flying airplane, but it's but it's armor plated and it's got six fifty caliber machine guns. You know, really no match. You know, the Japanese didn't evolve. They kind of missed it in the middle, thank goodness. At the very end, they had some pretty amazing airplanes, but, you know, they stuck with a certain tactic and theory. And, you know, if you read the history books, you know, uh, Chenault was talking about uh, his tactics. He had an inferior airplane with the early P-40s. Claire Chenault. Yeah, Claire Chenault, sorry. But they could still, in China, they had very good combat record. You know, the Japanese were flying mainly Oscars at the time, which is even a more nimble airplane than the Zero. But... um, you know, they'd be shooting them down, and, and the Oscars and the, the Japanese are doing aerobatics and loops and stuff, trying to evade when, you know, Chanel was using the speed of the airplanes. You know, the, the tactics were what really, you know, kept us in the war, actually. So. Yeah, that Burma theater is just humbling. Oh, yeah. Guys flying over the hump at what altitude? As high as they could go, yeah, because the, the hump is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles of 20,000-foot peaks. Yeah, so, right. and on-pressurized aircraft. That's right. That was Cold the, inside that was and out. That was the deal. Yeah, the B twenty nine really when it came out, that was I think the first real pressurized airplane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The Connie you were talking about earlier. It's a seven four nine, so it's it's a baby Connie. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to us about that yeah. aircraft because that's a classic, and I think Howard Hughes was involved in the design of well, that. Well, um, yes, he had a lot of influence on it. Of course, the reason that Connie went to the airlines, maybe, because you know he, he fell in love with the airplane, and uh, that was kind of the modern-looking airliner, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, in its day, and it was the, you know, the, the pinnacle of a propeller-driven airliner. And, and, uh, and that, I think, of all classic warbirds and aircraft, is so elegant today yes. it looks beautiful kind of brief description well sure i'll tell you the connie that uh, the museum had uh, we acquired it back in 1992 we did some trading with uh, the army they had it at fort rucker and we traded uh, a helicopter and a few of the th- little things yeah, because they were going to cut it up because uh, wow. the, the display area that they had assigned for that airplane was be, be utilized for something else and that was President Truman. General Douglas MacArthur's airplane. Okay, MacArthur. Yeah, MacArthur, yeah. They had two Connies that they used for VIP. So the sister one was Truman's was Air the, Force One, correct? Right, and he, he had another one also, though, the, but they had the, the Super Connie after that. Mm-hmm. But this was the original, what they called Columbine. But the one we have was called Batan. But they, when, once uh, MacArthur was uh, let go from his service, then they used the two airplanes together, but... You know, I look at the airplane and you think, I wonder what kind of deals were done in the back of that airplane. I mean, the airplane, you know, it was all over the place with all these dignitaries and heads of state. You know, in those third world countries, an airplane like that was, you know, like a spaceship landing from outer space. You know, you think how much influence something like that would have, the American technology. So, yeah, 
And again, but, it's still it's so elegant, yeah. so wonderful to look at. Yeah. But, you know, in our effort to raise money for this project, for instance, uh, we did sell the airplane to a foundation. It's being rebuilt now where we have had the opportunity to work on it. It's almost done. It's with a few months to be ready to fly, but it's a beautiful airplane, and you'll see it in the magazines, I'm sure. And, and it's painted just a little different than it was when, when MacArthur had Back to Santa Maria. You guys are so excited. We're here at ground zero. <laughs> Talk to us about what you're most excited about to see happen. Well, uh, you know, there's a big process. Like Jane said earlier, you know, we've spent a lot of years finalizing where we think we want to go. When we finally uh, got to a position where we could officially request here, and it was very exciting, and the airport uh, was very interested in having us here, and so... Uh, We've been able to enter into an agreement we're all happy with, and, and now we're going through the process of design and permitting and raising money. That's the biggest thing is uh, our original budget is more than doubled from what we thought it was going to be wow. for our first phase. That's just a sign of the times, as we know. I mean, uh, when we first started looking into the hangar of this size, the price of the hangars doubled. So, wow. Yeah, it's just a sign of the times. It's, mm -hmm. it's the way it goes. But, but we do have a plan in place with the help of many people and many supporters, and, and the airport here has been very helpful. It follows that a museum interpretive center would be central to your build-out? Well, it's uh, most important for us to uh, keep the collection all together. Right. You know, so that's Which implies a lot of hangar space. A lot of hangar space. It's also going to be a huge asset to the airport. You know, we have a lot of international visitors that come visit at Chino. You know, they'll fly into L.A. and look us up. A lot of people visit us from other countries. So now they'll be coming to Santa Maria. Yeah, why not? Yeah. One of the things about this site in particular that we're excited about is what we call ocean view property from, <laughs> from the back of our hangars we'll be able to see the runway and obviously for our flying demonstrations and and those kinds of programs you can't get a better view than that at our location in chino we're quite far from the runway so we do flyovers and and things but it just doesn't show as well as being able to see the takeoffs and taxi and landing and all of that extra stuff so this site in particular i mean it couldn't be a better setup for us that's really cool. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit more about the different aircraft that people will be able to go up in as passengers. Well, the Living History Flight Experience Program um, is very specific to the Mustangs at this point, and we're hoping to expand on that program and get further letter of authorization to do some more standard category aircraft, such as possibly the T-6, or we've got a Stearman biplane, things of that nature. How about uh, the 25? And, uh, the 25 is also a, a possibility. We don't have the green light on that one yet, but it's not out of the question. It's just not something that we currently offer. What we're, we're trying to say here it's not like a Cessna or like an airliner you know if we wanted to take you for a flight we could do it it'd be simple as long as you're not paying for it but as soon as you pay for it it puts an airplane into a different category uh -huh. and these particular airplanes are not certified in a category like an airliner or a Cessna 150 or something it's a special airworthiness certificate so you're bound to some different rules and regulations you know 30 years ago, it was no big deal. 20 years ago, it was a little bit. And 10 years ago, it was like, you better start doing something. So that's what's happening now. It's typical of uh, you know, layers of regulations and, and liability. And mm -hmm. We had the program running for a long time with a variety of aircraft. And then when the new regulations came in, we said, oh, let's just take a minute. We paused the program, kind of got our ducks in a row, so to speak. And then we relaunched last year with just the Mustangs. So um, it's been very successful. The FAA has visited us a few times and checked 
everything out and it's been all good. And so we're hoping to build on that program. So it's not like we don't want to do it. It's just we're, we're taking it slow um, mm-hmm. to make sure that we keep the quality of the program as high as it can be. But the P51 is not dual control. It is not. And, yeah. and dual control is something um, that's a special uh, like training uh, mm-hmm. certificate. or uh, That's not something that we mm. will ever really offer through our program. It's it's a ride experience. Yeah. Um, although we do get requests for aerobatics and I want to control it and <laughs> I, everybody wants to do that. But it's just not possible. And we're, yeah. and we're trying to just keep everything as by the books as we need to be. Okay. Back to Santa Maria. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a bit about what you're most excited about in the build-out when it opens to the public. Well, aside from the runway view, so to speak, the build at Chino happened over time, and it happened as we could afford hangers, and we put them in places that just, oh, we can put one over here, and it's kind of a hodgepodge of buildings. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to have a chance here to take a second and kind of master plan the site a little bit to best utilize all the spaces. And um, as dull as it might seem, the storage space is something we're really excited about because (laughs) right now we just have everything stuffed to the brim and not just our aircraft we have a substantial artifacts and um, manual collection and all kinds of other things that it will be nice to give those um, uh, proper home and viewing uh, areas at the new museum so and again opening to the public at Santa Maria Airport you're targeting 2025 Hopefully, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, that's dependent on permitting and fundraising, really. Mm-hmm. And if everything goes well and everything goes smoothly, then there's no reason why we couldn't be on that target for early 2025. But of course, you never know when you start one of these projects what, what kind of roadblocks you might hit. Um, and we'll just keep people updated as we go. And um, hopefully, we will be here sooner rather than later. And um, we couldn't be more excited about it. It's It's really a beautiful airport Mm -hmm. and a beautiful location the central coast has the ideal weather and beautiful open airspace as opposed to the congestion that we experience down in chino so okay i told you my favorite aircraft Mm. what's your favorite oh gosh well i have a soft spot for a a particular p51 we willie is just (laughs) uh, he's a nice little airplane (laughs) and i he's kind of our um front runner on a lot of things and just classic p51 it looks like a toy sitting there but it's, it's the real deal and um i know steve has his favorite yeah uh, what's from your pilot's perspective what's your favorite steve yeah i just love them all but you know that saber jet's my favorite airplane i've just ever since i was a little kid that that's really what got me into airplanes is that there's a movie called the hunters with uh-huh. robert mitchum robert wagner korean war story and my dad, I was born in China Lake, and my dad took me to see it. I remember him giving me a dime. The dime was about that big, right? <clears throat> you know, stand in line and go see the movie. And after that, I started building models. So that's where I kind of I got that's the big right honor. Yeah. That's wow. pretty fun to fly, too, I think. That's, yeah, that's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I've, that's, yeah. <laughs> that was the first plane ever I got paid to fly, too, when I was 22 years old. I was working for Bob Hoover, and I, and I was part of the... He, Bob Hoover Bob was. Bob Hoover, the aerobatic pilot, the test pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and He does air shows and things, and we were at Chino, and he was a partner. What were you doing for him? Flying the F-86 to the air shows. As a 22-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 1974, yeah. I, see, I was part of the uh, the sales ploy, so to speak, because mm-hmm. if Steve could fly, anybody could fly, right? So, <laughs> and uh, fortunately, I had uh, uh, 
uh, some amazing mentors growing up and flight instructors and anyway the way it has worked out you know that's uh, I've, I've had an opportunity to fly a lot of different airplanes for a lot of years and done a lot of things that uh, meeting a lot of great people and you know I have no regrets cool so somebody was going through Chino and they wanted to come to Plains of Fame Air Museum where is it how do they get their access well, well, right when you drive down the main drive you'll see an f-86 on a pole <laughs> and it says planes of fame and about big four foot block letters on the side of the building and we have a nice parking lot b-17 is out front with a c-47 right next to it and you can't miss it that's really cool to learn more about your world jane yeah absolutely um for information about the expansion project at the San Maria Airport, uh, we have a website dedicated to that, pofsantamaria.org. And you can learn all about project updates and what the vision looks like. There's a beautiful rendering of what the building alpha. So, And for more information about the museum and our programming and our collection, planesoffame.org. Jane Hinton, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having us. Jane and I are representing a, a very large group. You know, our Planes of Fame is we have literally hundreds of people involved as volunteers and docents and volunteer mechanics and pilots. We're just a little part of the story that that, uh, that we want to make home here at uh, Santa Maria, so we're really excited about it. Steve Hinton, thank you so much. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, when do we go up? Yeah, <laughs> as soon as we're here, I promise you. <laughs> I love it. I'm your host, Tom Wilmer, reporting from the Santa Maria Airport. We'll see you here at the new Plains of Fame Air Museum, presently on the drawing boards. Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst, from swimming in the iconic Neptune pool to dining in Hearst's private guest house overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students, preserving the past and inspiring future generations of dreamers. These children experience a world of science, technology, engineering, art, and math at Hearst Castle STEAM, along with studying the legacy of Julia Morgan, one of the most important women in the history of engineering and architecture. The foundation at Hearst Castle not only changes the lives of children, but also provides lifetime memories and unrivaled experiences for our generous donors and members. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission. You've been listening to the Lowell Thomas award-winning travel show Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer, a featured podcast on NPR.org's podcast directory. You are invited to subscribe to Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer on NPR.org, NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher.com, and more than 20 other podcast channels around the world. To learn more about Tom Wilmer's journeys around America and the world, log on to ThomasWilmer.com. This is Roseanne Cash, and I'm sitting here with Tom Wilmer. Please support your local NPR station. I listen to WNYC in New York. In fact, NPR is all I listen to. If I didn't have NPR, I would feel like my lifeline to the world 
has been cut. So yes, please support your local NPR station. Mm -hmm.